Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. This morning, I want to start with the big idea of the passage right out of the starting gate. So here's the big idea of all that we're going to talk about today. Even in times of chaos and tragedy, God shows his love through his care. That's it. Even in times of chaos and tragedy, God shows his love through his care. Now, I can imagine there could be some different responses to that. Somebody might respond with a certain sense of despair, even anger, saying, wait a minute. My life has been through chaos. Look at the country right now. Look at the world. I've been through personal tragedy. Exactly where do I look to see God's love shown through his care? Or there might be somebody who responds with a sense of hope, saying, Oh, that's wonderful to hear because I look at the chaos we're in. I know the tragedy I've experienced. I can't wait for God to show that in my life. Wherever you respond on the spectrum, I suspect everyone has one question. When we hear a statement like that, even in times of chaos and tragedy, God shows his love through his care. We respond by asking, how? How does God do that? How can I see that evident in my life? Well, if you have that question, I have a one-word answer. Ruth. That's right, Ruth. We're in a series right now entitled Ruth, A Saga of Anguish and Joy. Today we're in Act 2. Now you have to remember, you have to set the context for the book of Ruth. You have to remember that first line in the book that says, in the times the judges ruled. It was a difficult, a decadent, some would say a diabolical time in Israel. It was a time of extreme social chaos. Remember how the the book of Judges ends right before the book of Ruth begins? In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Total chaos. War and killing and violence dominated the landscape time and again. But then if we want to focus in on the more personal level, we look at the life of Naomi. And we see in Naomi's life, famine, flight and move to another country, a foreign country. We see a funeral for her husband. We see a funeral for son number one, a funeral for son number two, and we see personal tragedy. So in the lives of both Naomi and Ruth, we see chaos and we see tragedy. And then we come to that big idea. Even in times of chaos and tragedy, God shows his love through his care. Now, you have to understand one thing about the book of Ruth. There's a Hebrew word. The way we would transliterate it into English, hesed is the word, would be H-E-S-E-D, hesed. 
It's a difficult word to translate. In fact, scholars say there is no English equivalent that is neat and simple because it has to do with several different realities. I'll mention just four. First of all, it has to do with relationship, with covenantal relationship. Secondly, it's an active word. It's not a feeling or an emotion. It's an action, acting in the best interest of the other person. Third, it's a word that describes a person who is situationally stronger, coming to the aid of someone who is situationally weaker. The powerful helping the powerless. And finally, it's a word that describes something that is voluntary. Voluntary. This is not forced. This is not coerced. This grows out of the love of the heart and soul. That word hesed, it appears three times in the book of Ruth, but you will notice if you read the book that that sentiment, that concept cast its shadow over everything that happens in the book. Nowhere may be greater than what happens in this act, act two. So remember our, our lesson, our big idea for the day. Even in times of chaos and tragedy, God shows his love through his care. Act two has three scenes. The curtain rises on scene one. Ruth, Ruth's book, second chapter. We're going to begin reading in verse one. In this scene, God will show his love through his care in the life of Ruth, in the person of Ruth. Ruth chapter two. Verse 1, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. God's about to show his love through his care in the person of Ruth. Ruth takes the initiative. Ruth takes action. Ruth realizes you can grieve, you can sorrow, you can mourn, but at some point you've got to be able to put food on the table. You've got to be able to pay the bills. You might line up with a number of Old Testament scholars who suspect that Naomi is immobilized. She's paralyzed by her grief. Remember her final words back that we read in the last chapter? She's saying, the Almighty has been very bitter with me. Call me bitter, Mara. Don't call me pleasant, Naomi, anymore. I went away full. I came back empty. The Almighty has treated me in a difficult fashion. And so as we begin chapter 2, many think, and you might join them, that Naomi can't act. She can't do anything. She's overwhelmed with her sorrow, her bitterness. She doesn't know of God's love or God's care. And so Ruth steps up. Ruth is the one to take the initiative. Ruth is the one to act. And God works in the person of Ruth to give evidence to his love to Naomi in the care that Ruth will provide. Ruth says, I'll do it. I'll do what is necessary. I'll find a way forward for us. Don't you love those kind of people? 
when you're struggling with sorrow and difficulty, emotions that overwhelm you, those people who don't just wait around deciding what it is that you want them to do, they step up and they do something actively, even in the spiritual arena. In fact, what Ruth does here in this context reminds me of Larry Yeagley, the writer, the author, the chaplain, Larry Yeagley's concept of what he calls a detour person. Here's what a detour person is. If you can picture this, picture three squares. One square up at the top of the page, one square down at the bottom of the page, and then one square off to the side of the page. The top square represents God. The bottom square represents you. You who grieve, you who mourn, you who have experienced the bitterness of God. Now, there is often, typically, a straight line between those two boxes when things are going good. When your relationship with God is healthy and well, there's exchange that goes both ways. But then tragedy strikes, and suddenly a roadblock is placed between those two boxes. Maybe it's a roadblock that says death, or tragedy, or chaos. And suddenly you have no sense that God can get down to you through that roadblock. And you have no sense that your prayers go up to God. You say, my prayers go no higher than the ceiling. You're cut off from God. Well, that's likely. That's likely what Naomi is feeling right here in these verses. But then enter that other box off to the side. On this one, you can write Ruth or detour person. This is a person who has his or her hand firmly clasped by the hand of God and who reaches out and takes your hand. And suddenly you have a detour around what has happened. It comes in the life, in the person of that individual. That's Ruth. If it's true that even in times of chaos and tragedy, God shows his love through his care, then in this case, God does that in the person of Ruth, who just says, I'll take care of us. You have someone like that in your life, a detour person who has done that for you. Maybe it's time to express gratitude to them. Or maybe you are the detour person. Maybe you need to be the detour person for someone else. Step into their life. Overcome the roadblock that exists between their soul and God's. That's scene one. Even in times of chaos and tragedy, God shows his love through his care. In this case, it's in the person of Ruth. But in the second scene, the same lesson is true. Even in times of chaos and tragedy, God shows his love through his care. But this time, it will be in the person, not of Ruth, but of Boaz. Boaz. Now, before we actually read the passage, I want to put three items in place so that as we read through the passage, it will come alive. So the first item is this. In just a, a couple of moments when we read here in Ruth, we will read about what happens that when she went out to glean, this will be in, in verse 3, pardon me, she will, it will say, as it turned out, as it turned out, she ended up in the field of Boaz, as it turned out. In other words, there's a certain sense of 
luck, fate. The God smiled on her that day, they say. But something else is going on here. Maybe we can see it best in the words of Old Testament scholar Daniel Isaac Block, who writes about this. In verse 3b, the narrator adds one of the most significant interpretive comments in the book. In the original, it literally states, And her chance chanced upon the allotted portion of the field of Boaz. The narrator draws attention to Ruth's chance arrival at a field of Boaz even more pointedly with the redundant phrase, her chance chanced upon, which in modern idiom would be rendered by a stroke of luck. <laughs> this must be recognized as one of the key statements in the book. The statement is ironical. Its purpose is to undermine purely rational explanations for human experiences and to refine the reader's understanding of providence. In reality, he is screaming, See the hand of God at work here. The same hand that has sent the famine and later provided food is the hand that had brought Naomi and Ruth to Bethlehem precisely at the beginning of the harvest and has now guided Ruth to that portion of the field belonging specifically to Boaz. Chance? Hmm. Second item that might be helpful as we read the passage is that a verse later, you'll see the words, just then, just then. She happened into the field of Boaz, and then the verse will say, just then Boaz showed up. Again, there's a certain wink-wink quality to what the narrator is saying. Just then. Can you imagine it? that just happened? You know what the picture is? The picture is of the parents of the adult single son who are trying to manage his life. The mom finds someone she likes and she says to her, listen, we'll be at the restaurant at 1 p.m. That's our reservation. You just, you just happen by at about 1.15. I'll introduce you. I'll make sure that he gets to know who you are. And there they are seated at the table at 1.15 when mom says, well, looky there. There's Susan. Oh, my goodness, Susan. Come over here. I want you to meet John. Just happened. Look at John's face. John's eyes say, Mom, I am going to hurt you. Well, that's the sense right here. Just then, Boaz showed up. It's as though there's a hand providentially guiding these lives. Third item that might be helpful. So I want you to take notice as we read this second scene in Act 2, just how magnanimous Boaz is, how abundant are his provisions for Ruth and through Ruth for Naomi. So the scene opens, Act 2, scene 2, beginning in verse 3. So she went out, that's Ruth. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, 
Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has now remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Remember that line, we'll come back to that. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me, don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the harvesters are working and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have reassured me and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks from her bundles and leave them for her to pick up. Don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Just then, Boaz shows up in the field in which she happened to be gleaning. He immediately notices, calls the overseer. Who's that young woman? Well, that's Ruth the Moabite. Now, just parenthetically here, I want you to notice how many times in this book of Ruth, her name is followed by those two words, the Moabite. It's a way of identifying her as a foreigner, especially from a land with which Israel does not have friendly relations. And the overseer doesn't even stop there. He says, that's Ruth the Moabite who came from Moab, he repeats it, with Naomi. And then he does go on to say some very nice things about Ruth. It's what happens as they're talking at the end of verse 7 that ought to capture our attention. That phrase I pointed out as we read, that she's remained here from morning till now, hard at work, etc., except for a short rest in the shelter. That's a very hard phrase, scholar after scholar says, to translate. Very difficult. So difficult that at least one scholar says, I don't even translate when I translate the book. I just leave it blank there. But there is an interesting possibility that's outlined by the Old Testament scholar K. Lawson Younger. I want you to get this, so I, I'm going to read what Younger has to say about this. Listen as he unpacks what is likely happening in this scene. He says, 
in a series of six short statements with a final seventh conditional statement, Boaz outlines a beneficent program for Ruth in his field despite the fact that she is a Moabitess. One, don't go and glean in another field. Two, and don't go away from here. Three, stay here with, literally stick close to, my servant girls. Four, watch the field where the men and girls are harvesting. Five, follow along after the girls. Six, I have ordered the men not to touch you or hoot at you. Seven, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. From these statements, it is possible to conclude, from points one to three, that Ruth was leaving the field as Boaz arrived. From points four to six, that something done to her by the male reapers has made her uncomfortable enough to leave. From point seven, that Ruth's attempt to get a drink of water had provided the occasion for the young male reaper's action. With this in mind, it seemed apparent that the... It seems apparent that the last words of verse 7 record the foreman's confused and embarrassed explanation of a situation to Boaz. As he is speaking, Ruth is at some distance from them with her back turned to Boaz, and she is on her way out of the field because of an incident of what we today would call sexual harassment, which she experienced when she sought a drink of water. Thus, the translation of the last words of verse 7 might be something like, this fellow, he starts, and then he stops. Ah, uh, she's just going home for a bit. The foreman starts his explanation, becomes embarrassed, and tries to make some lame excuse. Something has happened. Something that has not been good for Ruth. Some type of action on behalf, or rather by, the men who work for Boaz. And now Boaz is going to stand up on behalf of Ruth. He's going to not only provide for her, but protect her. You have to understand, Ruth is in a very difficult situation in the world of her day. First of all, she's a woman, strike one, in her world. Secondly, she's a foreigner, strike two in her world. Thirdly, she's a widow. Strike three. In her world, you're out, Ruth. Get out of this field. Now, I wish I could say, I wish I could say that all those realities were true in the world of Ruth, but not in your world and mine. But you wouldn't believe me if I said that, would you? And with good reason. It causes great sorrow to all of us who are men who follow Jesus to know how women often feel. In fact, my sister, Mary Ellen Weingartner, on the pastoral staff at the church at Southwestern Adventist, University in Keene, Texas, sent me something just this week. It was interesting. It was a, a tweet that a woman who has a Twitter account tweeted out. I want, I want to read it to you. Simple question she tweeted out. Ladies, she tweeted, a question for you. 
What would you do if all men had a 9 p.m. curfew? What would you do, lady, if you knew there would be no men on the street after 9 p.m.? That was her question. I want to read you some of the responses. One woman tweeted, Oh my goodness, my mind reels. Go dancing, take a walk, open the front door without fear. Another woman said, sit on the beach at night. Another, I'd walk a city in peace. Yet another, I'd run at night. And then as if for emphasis, I would run so much at night. And still another, me, I'd walk everywhere. I'd grocery shop late at night when it's quiet. I'd take public transit all the time and could sell my car. I wouldn't worry about my girlfriends when we were listening to music. I would go to the beach at night. And one more. I would run with earbuds in, and then in all caps, at night. Not cross the road to the other sidewalk. I wouldn't worry about keeping my phone in my hand and locking the door the second I got inside the car. I'd walk in the woods because it's beautiful at night. It's heartbreaking, friends. Heartbreaking. No wonder it raises the hackles on Boaz. No wonder this man who in verse 1, when he is introduced, the sense of what it says there is that he is a man of sterling character. No wonder it raised his hackles. And all you have to do is peruse the words that describe what he did at the time to get a sense of just how specifically, pointedly, even aggressively he acts to protect this foreign widow. I mean, just, just scan them. When he's talking to Ruth, he says, don't go to another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here. Watch the field and follow after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. When you are thirsty, go get a drink from the water jars men have filled. Do you realize in that day and time, it would have been the foreigners drawing water for the Israelites. It would have been the women drawing water for the men. And here Boaz has the audacity, the temerity to say to her, you go and you drink whenever you are thirsty from the water that that they have drawn. And then at noontime, come over here. Have some bread. Dip it in the wine vinegar. She sat down. She ate everything she wanted, had some left over. In other words, the provisions that Boaz makes for her protection and for her sustenance are stellar, are amazing. You remember our, 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 our big idea today? Even in times of chaos and tragedy, God shows his love through his care. Now he's showing his love and care for both Ruth and Naomi in the person of Boaz. Now there's something interesting about the care that Boaz provides. Actually, two things. Number one, it is undeserved. Or at least that's how Ruth takes it. Because Ruth, in verse 10, she's kind of reeling backwards, staggering at the reality of what he's doing for her. And she says, 
Why would you do this for me, a foreigner? Understand then what she's saying is, I don't deserve this. Why are you doing this? It's undeserved. And second, it's abundant. It's more than she could ever ask or hope for. She eats her fill. She takes some home. That'll be Naomi's supper. It's abundant. <laughs> Undeserved and abundant. The provision made. Kind of makes me think of another man. A man who walked the dusty pathways of Galilee, offering a grace that is undeserved, a grace that is abundant to you, to me. The curtain drops on scene two of act two. There's one more scene left a shorter scene. When it rises, we realize that if God's love is shown in God's care, even in times of chaos and tragedy, and if it has been shown in the person of Ruth, if it has been shown in the person of Boaz, thirdly, it will be shown now in the act of faith. Faith. That's what happens in this third scene. We go back to Ruth chapter 2, starting in verse 17. Then she threshed bar the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw, saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man where I work today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness. That's that word hesed that we talked about earlier. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our family guardians. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field you might be harmed. That is a much stronger word than Boaz used earlier. Naomi is very concerned for Ruth's safety. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law. Even in times of chaos and tragedy, God shows his love through his care. Now it will be through the act of faith. Ruth arrives at home, shows Naomi the abundance, these two widows who had no means to survive, suddenly it was unbelievable what they had. In fact, scholars estimate that if, while the harvest lasted, Ruth gleaned the same amount that she gleaned on this day, she would have brought home enough provision for almost a year for she and Naomi. It's unbelievable. And they have this exchange back and forth until Ruth mentions the name Boaz, and Naomi says, Oh my goodness. 
He, he's a family. He's one of our family guardians. That will become important in the next act. God bless him for what he has done. So where does the faith come in? Well, there's, there's this curious little statement at the end of the chapter. It's the last statement in the chapter after describing everything that has happened. Then comes this sentence. And she lived. Now, she's ta- the passage now is talking about Ruth. And she lived with her mother-in-law. She lived with her mother-in-law. It's kind of a strange statement. I mean, we've known that all along, right? She hasn't moved, right? What's the narrator trying to say? Because one thing I have learned is that biblical writers don't throw in things just because they want to throw them in. There's usually a purpose for why they're there. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Could it be this? Just before that statement, we're told that she continued to glean with Boaz's workers all the way to the end of the harvest. But when the harvest ended, once again, it was just the two women, Ruth and her mother-in-law. The narrator is saying, Boaz provided as long as it was harvest time. But one day the harvest ended, and then they're on their own again. Then it's just the two women facing a very unfriendly world. Just the two. Except there's this hand of God that has been guiding them, directing them, holding them. Do they have faith in that? December 2, 2015, not two to three miles from where I sit. Anyone who's lived in this part of Southern California will remember it well. Gunfire erupted at the Inland Regional Center. Terrorists had attacked. As the gunfire erupted off the walls, as bodies collapsed and fell dead, it was chaos, it was tragedy. Just moments before, Denise Parazza, and a co-worker, friend of hers, Shannon Johnson, had been sitting at the table choking about the, the big clock on the wall. The, the hand was moving so slowly they thought this meeting would never end. Is that hand even moving? And then suddenly, chaos erupted. Tragedy ensued. Later, Denise, in talking about what happened, in writing a Facebook post, to tell of the event and speak of the one that she would call my hero, my friend. Later, she wrote about Shannon Johnson. As they fell huddled beneath the table, trying to hide, trying to escape the gunfire, she said she suddenly felt Shannon's arm, left arm, encircle her and pull her close. As the bullets ricocheted in every direction, Denise would later say, I could hear him saying, one thing, just one thing, I got you, I got you. Denise would survive, Shannon would not. 
and yet echoing in her mind is not only the memory of the gunfire, the ricocheting bullets, but also the memory of a friend arm encircling her and whispering, I got you. For Ruth and Naomi, that's where faith comes in. Can they hear that voice, the voice of Yahweh, assuring them, even when the harvest ends, I got you. So our big idea is simple. Even in times of chaos and tragedy, God shows His love through His care. Does it in the person of Ruth? Does it in the person of Boaz? He will do it through the act of faith. So what about you, friend? It's a time of incredible chaos. It's a time of deep personal tragedy for many. Do you hear, do you sense, do you feel the voice in the hand of God? Many times it will feel very human. It will feel like a friend holding you close, saying, I got you. Because even in times of chaos and tragedy, God shows his love through his care.